Hello, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, just published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. What makes them tick? In this episode, I talked with Bill Jacobs, who's a member of the Board of Trustees of King's Daughters Medical Center and former owner and publisher of The Daily Leader and The Prentice Headlight. We talked about the power and importance of journalism. I'm thrilled to have on the podcast today a man named Bill Jacobs, uh, someone I consider a special kind of American hero, a man who spent his career in what I call the First Amendment business. Uh, the newspaper business. And uh, let me read it, his bio, because I don't have it by heart. Bill Jacobs spent his 32-year career in the newspaper industry as an editor, general manager, and publisher. He purchased his first newspaper in 1985, followed by purchasing his family-owned daily newspaper in 1995. Mr. Jacobs holds three positions on boards, King's Daughters Medical Center, which is Uh, how we met because I was speaking at a a healthcare conference just before the pandemic broke, the Mississippi Economic Council and the National Newspaper Association Foundation. Bill Jacobs, welcome to the Indispensables. Thank you. Enjoy being here. Um, So let me ask you, I, I, I wanted to have you on the podcast because based on our email dialogue, uh, I could tell that you are somebody who, has been guided through your career by a sense of service and integrity. And um, that's what I'm trying to shine a bright light on in this podcast. Can you say something about your personal story and what led you to the newspaper business? And and then we'll try to put some flesh on the bones. Well, I grew up in the newspaper business, a family-owned operation. My parents uh, owned newspapers and different parts of the country and uh, New Hampshire, Ohio, and uh, then eventually came to Mississippi in the late late 50s. And uh, we've been here ever since. So I grew up in the business and uh, was interested in it and had an opportunity to get back in it. So I did. But before that, I you know went to University of Mississippi, Ole Miss, and graduated journalism and business and uh, came back in, but did a uh, stint with a uh, family-owned department store in Mississippi, one of the actually biggest ones in the, in the South, McCurry's department store. And got some tremendous management training. But then I, I came back to newspaper, and, you know, newspapers are an important part of communities, and what we can do to help a community is tremendous. Ours is a 132-year-old newspaper uh, these days, and uh, it's been around for a while. Would you say that, um, that the newspaper business is especially mission-driven work? Oh, without a doubt. It's uh, the people who work in it are, are special people with, you know, they're, they're driven to work very hard and dig deep and people don't appreciate how, how many hours a newspaper reporter puts in, how efforts uh, it takes, the deadlines they work under, the, uh, the pressure they live under. And, uh, but there's a drive to them to tell what's going on, tell the truth and inform. Do you, um, did your newspaper have a mission statement or, you know, some newspapers have a slogan or, or, uh, or a mission statement? 
what was your business uh, driven by that kind of explicit statement of mission? We were driven by the fact that we need to uh, tell the story of, of our community, tell what's going on, be part of the community and uh, have people know that they could come to us to see what's happening and uh, to get information about it. They didn't always agree with us, uh, which is an important part of it. People tell me, um, I don't agree. Well, I said, thank you, because you can't agree about everything, uh, but we can all talk about it. So our mission was to, uh, to tell the story, but be fair, be correct. Credibility, the most important asset we had, and we had to follow that asset to keep the, in tune, our readers in tune with us. Uh, one of the things I, I, I wanted to ask you about, um, and I, I think it's so interesting, uh, because people now are so suspicious of journalists and media. And yet, when I speak with people who know the real work of newspapers and news gathering organizations and fact checking and research, you started out by saying, uh, tell the truth. You know, not everybody understands the work that news organizations do to try to make sure that you're telling the story of the community, to try to make sure that you're being fair, to try to make sure that what you're printing is true and fair. Can, can you describe some of the work of, of the newspaper that should give people more confidence um, in journalists? Yeah, a newspaper is responsible for everything they publish, and we can be sued, and we're sued numerous times. And uh, we drilled into the staff that, uh, you know, let's get it right. Let's double check, triple check whenever we can. And uh, if we make an error, let's t say, yes, we made an error. And we made lots of errors. But we've got pretty good uh, credibility within the community and trust of uh, not only our readers, but the leadership in the community that they could depend on us to, to do things. And, uh, and that was by ha having quality staff. Uh, you know, I worked hard to get good people to come in on the reporter side. We have good people. We have, gosh, so many lines of, of, you know, producing a newspaper is not just reporting doing. You got graphics people, you got press people, you got carriers, you got each one of them the line is important. And um, so we instilled in them both, you know, let's do it right. Let's get it done and let's get it correct. So you said two things that I, that I really, that almost give me goosebumps as an American. One is double and triple check. And the other is if you make a mistake, own up to it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I sometimes talk about playing the long game of trust and influence and credibility, but that you have to play the long game one moment at a time by doing the right thing one moment at a time. And, you know, sometimes I think um, people who have not seen the inside of a newsroom don't realize how much uh, journalists are trying to get it right, that they're that double checking, triple checking, that when they make a mistake, they feel it, it stings, and they want to own it because credibility is your stock and trade, right? Were there other um, standard operating procedures? You, you said also that one of the reasons the community and community leaders trusted you is because you put an emphasis on hiring good people and, of course, uh, insisted to them and, and drilled into them the importance of, as you said, getting it right. 
were there other standard operating procedures uh, that you used to try to make sure that you were telling the community, as you say, the truth in a balanced or in a fair way? Well, just um, we trusted our sources and they trusted us. You know, people would call us wanting stories about such and such. Well, we would kind of look at it and say, okay, if it's incredible, okay, we'll go after it. If it's incredible, we would sit back and say, let's look into this a little bit more. Uh, and we killed stories because, okay, there wasn't, something was not right about it. One frustrating thing we had in the early days of Facebook, that we now see as social media, is we would have, have an event and we'd be working on it. People would call and wonder, why haven't you reported on so-and-so? That just happened or whatever. So, well, we were working to confirm so-and-so. And so, well, then y'all are lying because you won't tell what's going on. Working to confirm. The reason I'm, I'm pushing more to, to have you say more words is because I know you can't be in the newspaper business for 32 years um, without um, having a commitment to uh, double checking, triple checking. You said working to confirm, making sure your sources are good, making sure the people who work for you know that getting it right is what matters most to you. Um, and, um, and I just, I think in this uh, day and age, uh, it's really important for people to understand the work of news gathering because um, after all, there's a reason it's the first amendment. It's, it's the heart of our freedom. Oh, it is. It's, um, you know, so many uh, community newspapers in particular get such bad report, I report is the wrong word, but blame for things that aren't, that aren't happening because they're do, trying to do their job. And, so there are bad apples or bad apples, everything, but for the most part, the traditional community newspaper is there to tell what's going on. They want to get it right. They want to know, but they have to trust their sources and they have to know where they're coming from because there's a lot of mishmash coming on these days. We always had people, even before social media, that were uh, trying to sell a story to us or sell an issue, and we would listen to the PR types. We'd have to weed through what was... Uh, right, what was wrong, and, you know, we'd step on toes, and people get mad because we didn't port their issue because we knew that, ah, that's not quite right. Let's get the full story. Let's get both sides of that story. People don't like sometimes to get both sides. If both sides are mad at us when it's all over with, then we did the right job. We were right smack in the middle and told both sides. Yeah, and that shows what real courage, real news gathering requires. And I'm saddened by the fact that too many people don't trust or don't know who to trust. You said you, you would make sure you had good sources and trusted sources. Can you just walk through like, what makes somebody a, a trusted source? How important is reputation? Uh, if you have somebody who in the past has given you information that wasn't good, or in contrast, you've had somebody in the past who's given you information that turned out to be good. How important is that? Oh, it's vital. And you do get people who have, as I said before, they have their own agendas and you get somebody who gives you bad information. If you have people uh, you know, who you can verify and you, you, you get the sense and feel sometimes when somebody's telling a story. You learn to read people pretty quickly. What do you look for when you're reading people? Well, their sincerity, their, what they're saying about a particular incident that's going on. And, and, you know, 
it depends on the situation. We have uh, breaking things, lots of things come out of people's mouths and you have to kind of verify that or see what's going on. Or if you get multiple people saying the same thing, then you kind of know what's, what's true, what's not true, and you work from there. And, you know, you want to tell everybody's story as best you can, but you want to weed out the ones that are, that maybe they're not quite right. There are times we failed in that. We got information and we report what we heard. Then we learn, you know, we need to double check that. Yeah, nothing like getting burned a couple of times to uh, emphasize how important it is to check, right? Yes. Um, so you said um, one thing is you get good at reading people and their sincerity um, uh, when they're telling their story. Another thing you said is when multiple sources are saying the same thing, that's, that's a good indication. How important is reputation? You know, in a community, you get to know people. And just as you maybe have a reputation as a trusted newspaper, um, when it comes to sources, do you, you know, what happens when somebody is trying to sell you a bill of goods over and over again, or uh, when somebody's telling you things that prove out to be not true over and over again? Well, you know, in a small community, we're a community of 15,000 in, uh, in the city and another 30,000 uh, overall. You tend to know people and you tend to know who they are, but reading people is a, an art. You have to learn how to read people. And, you know, you use what they tell, but you verify uh, opposite opinion or opposite story. You tell both sides of it. Or you ignore those who... Who you know are ones a little scatterbrained and who are always calling. You can always have somebody who's always calling. And how, how about with staff? What leads you to trust one person more than another? Or uh, do you have those same uh, reading people? Are those techniques also helpful in selecting and managing staff? Oh, it plays very huge. Uh, you get a feel for people. You know, resumes are great, but you want to see them one-on-one and uh, see what they can and can't do. And believe me, I've had some loud resumes, uh, but you've kind of uh, learned to, again, read people. But we had small tests we would do on things of their knowledge, but also we're looking for energy. People who wanted to have, have uh, were inquisitive. Didn't really want those who had a flag to fly that they were chasing after uh, specific things because we, we were a general interest newspaper. We chased after food few things our own because for the community, but we didn't want somebody with their own flag. So we watched you know, that type of person. Somebody with an agenda like, you mean? Yeah, we didn't want an agenda is a better right, word for it. Right, right. Uh, but we want an agenda for the common cause of the community, uh, of what's going for better of the community as a whole, not for one individual part of the community, I guess. Right. Be and how would you, if you're saying like, what would you look for in a go-to person? I mean, the people who you would rely on first, the people you would rely on most, what are the traits and characteristics uh, that you think set those people apart? You can identify those people pretty quickly, and they are, can be a wonder to work with, and they can also be a problem to work with. Um, and also, I had to learn how to build that go-to person because you wanted good, strong people, but they had to be able to work with the rest of the staff, too. And, uh, and we had some very good ones and, uh, over the years and uh, who worked. And unfortunately, those really good ones would tend to be here about a year and a half and go on somewhere else because they were climbing up their, their own ladder. And, uh, and thus, we'd build a base. They would help train those that would stay with us longer uh, of what to do. But there's enthusiasm there that we want. 
and uh, how to manage that enthusiasm without disappointing it uh, is a manager's job because it's not always easy because you can't all, and especially a small staff, do everything somebody wants to do. They may be right, but we, our resources are small. So I learned, right. uh, I think I learned how to manage those people well, and some of them did quite well. and Went on to bigger and better things. Very proud of some of my staff. There's a couple in particular. And, and when they go out into the world, you know, you're sending people who maybe you were a mentor to them, uh, you've built them up, and then they go out and do more. Is that, I mean, of course, part of that is frustrating because you build them up and then the organization loses them. Uh, but there's got to be something very gratifying about building somebody up and sending them out into the world to serve. Oh, in my interview process, one of the questions are, what are your plans one year, two years, five years down the road, which is all stumping. And my real purpose there was not to see how long they're going to be with me, but see what their, what their goals were. Because I knew I was a stepping stone. I was telling them, I'm your first stepping stone out of college. You help me, I help you, and you go on to bigger and greater things. And, right. and that's what I want you to do. I want you to look back at us. As I got my start as a daily leader. You know, that's how you find those go-to people and get them going. And we both understood where we were from the beginning. We helped each other. So you said something about building people up and building these go-to people. Can you say a little bit more about that? Well, part of uh, my method with them is we, we did a lot of meetings, staff meetings and company meetings of which in order to pull those who may not be the go-to people up, I see there are different levels of go-to people. You know, and each different level, you want them one working the other, the other. And it's amazing how it helped. I mentioned our newspaper carriers. I always brought them into meetings because I tell my staff, we can work all night long without delivered tomorrow morning. Our work is of no use because nobody can see it. So I want those carriers to feel just important. And, and they were part of the process. And the press room was part of the process. Paper didn't get printed, nothing happened. So that everybody understood their position and it lifted everybody up together. And I think we're pretty successful. Well, I love that idea of them, uh, everybody lifting each other up and that everybody playing an important role in the process. It's like in the uh, healthcare world where you're a board member um, of a hospital, right? Maybe the orderlies or the people who empty bedpans, you know, somehow they're lower down on the hierarchy. And yet the work they do is so important to helping take care of people. Oh, our hospital is very good at that. Um, our administrator is superb at bringing everybody into that feeling, much the same way I do with my carriers. Everybody feels a part of this. And during this uh, pandemic, it's just been amazing this, how hard these people have worked from the, the people on the front lines to the top line to the bottom lines of cleaning of healthcare. It wasn't just the nurses and doctors, they did tremendous, but the people beneath them who kept it clean, who kept them all going. Oh, the the stories are unbelievable of how these healthcare workers pulled us as a country together, as community as a country. They are unappreciated, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it's incredible. You know, one of the things that I love to celebrate, and I love that you emphasize the carriers, um, and that's why I wanted to mention some of those healthcare workers also, that, you know, people have to play their role and people have to lift each other up. And everybody is part of serving and doing uh, with each other, right? I mean, uh, wow. there's something about being in a community 
like you say, 15,000 people where people know each other. And do you think that brings out more of a service mindset in people? It can. <laughs> I think, yes, a good community works together to, uh, to build things. Our community has, has done so many things that other communities could do because we work together. As one of my goals in newspapers, we would bring everything in and do community events, but a community projects. And we were so successful, we the community, and partly because what we could do with the newspaper, uh, which works same way with any business. If you pull everybody into with the same same goals and everybody feels the same strength in their own levels, and it's amazing what common goals can do with whatever the organization, how small or large, to a community, to a state, to a country, if everybody's on the same page, what can be accomplished. So what's your advice to somebody who has this commitment to service and does have this appreciation of others, and then they have colleagues or constituents who somehow uh, are in it for themselves or you know, somehow not sharing that spirit of service. What's your advice to this, to the service minded person? How do they influence uh, others to be more that, that way? That, that's a tough one because they're always somebody who's a naysayer who doesn't want to do a little bit more, uh, who wants to do just toe the line and not do any more than what we have to do to get done. It comes to the boss a little bit. The boss has to kind of manage those people, I think. And the boss wants just to keep the status quo. Things aren't going to change. But how do you change that boss? I think you work with it. You know, I had times when people come to me, some of those go-toers want to do something, and I would, oh, here we go again, or we got too many things on the plate. But I realize, you know, I got to work with these people. I've got to give them. I would delegate to, to those people to uh, try and do a little bit more and then encourage around. It can be tough on those who have who want to do more and are held back by peers. Yeah, I mean, there's always somebody who's saying like, hey, slow down, you're making me look bad, right? I mean, are you of the opinion, I, I think reasonable minds can differ, of, you know, uh, that some people, they just are, have bad attitudes. Some people, you know, are winners born or are they made? And can you take somebody with a bad attitude and, and help them get better. I'll tell you a story of that. My first, I mentioned McCray's department stores. I was a, a ASM area manager and I had, um, I'm right out of college and I had about 25 people under me and I had this, we'd opened a new store and I was over that particular area. I had one particular employee who was a little bit older, uh, well-educated, actually her husband was a plant manager and she would buy the biggest thorn in my side. She would always do things and was always, yeah, yeah. One day I pulled her aside and, uh, and I looked at her and said, Sue, I'm new at this and I need your help. How do we get past this? Because we've got to do it together. She became my best employee ever because, you know, I, I empowered her all of a sudden. Uh, of how do we do this? And I asked her the question. And that I used over the years when we did have somebody who was a problem, I would sit down with them and say, how do we, how do we make this better? We need to do, accomplish this goal. And you're a main part of that. How do we do that? That sometimes helped. So I think to go back to your other question, those who are trying to strive, that may be the way to go to them when they have somebody and say, how can I do this? How can we together get to where we want to be? Maybe that'll help. 
So instead of leaning on the person or trying to squeeze them, what you're really doing is trying to bring out the best in them. Yeah, yeah. Bring out their, because I think everybody for the most part wants to do well at something. They want to be recognized for it. If you find whatever that piece is in them, they will excel with it. I mean, everyone's entitled to a bad afternoon or a bad day or a bad week. Some people have bad months. Some people have bad quarters. When, you, when you're having a bad year, okay. But, you know, some people, it's like, you know, what can I do to help you help me? There's a point where you eliminate that job and you find somebody else. But uh, that would be my last resort. I just find if you reach out to people and, and ask them, how can we do something? They usually will come out and do they just have their own personal problems they can't deal and what are their personal everybody has a personal problem and you reach out to them and have some empathy towards that problem and amazing how they will reach back yeah so you're basically saying to somebody maybe if you could uh serve others maybe that i mean th there's something about serving others yeah uh i think that that, that lifts everybody up it, it, and sometimes you know it's a, it's a funny thing that um, if I offer to do something for you, sometimes that brings out less than if I ask you to, to, to serve me or serve the organization or serve the community. Oh, I agree. It's, it's, and our, my goal with our staff was, uh, what can we do for the community, with your friends, your neighbors? How can we make it better? And thus that usually bought them into the program of what we wanted to do. And we're trying to make the schools better. How do we do this? And those that were naysayers and say, well, and, and peer peer pressure would help bring that up. If there's going to be peer pressure, you don't want you don't want it to be the people saying, "Slow down, you're making me look bad." You want it to be the people who are saying, "Hey, pick up the pace." Right? You, you bring those people up, and others will follow with them. Absolutely. Well, Bill Jacobs, thank you for being a guest on the Indispensables. Thank you uh, for the work you've done and. Um, for lifting up your community. Thank you. And thank you for being on The Indispensables. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. And uh, wish you the best of luck too. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. In our next episode, I'll be talking with Francis Fry, who's a professor at the Harvard Business School. And we talked about a lot of things, including her book, Unleashed. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. Any little bit helps to drive us up the charts. You can learn more about GoToism and the techniques which make indispensable people stand out in their jobs and careers and lives in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, available wherever books are sold. If you're interested in bulk orders, please check the show notes for more information. And finally, you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com, by following me on Twitter, at Bruce Tulgan, or find me on LinkedIn and Facebook at the links in the show notes. Until next time, stay strong and be indispensable at work.